All right. Hey, let's get ready to get into God's word. Again, just today has been updates, announcements. Let me just put a pin in this date for you guys. But on the 4th, State of the Union, Town Hall, like we always feel like it's important to spend some time giving the church an update. Um, the Sunday morning, I really feel like is set aside for the teaching, preaching of God's word. I like that to be the focus. Um, but we do feel it's important as a church to help you guys understand like what is God doing? Where are we at, you know, financially? What is some vision for the new year? So on the 4th, we will have a separate time, like a town hall where, you know, we can gather, do some engagement, some Q&A, share with you guys some things that God is doing for the year. So once Franklin and I narrow down exactly the time, I'll uh, send that out. But if you guys just make a mental note, if you consider this your home church, um, we would love for you guys to come out, engage with us, and that'll be Sunday, February the Fourth. All right, there we go. Um, okay, so as we've been going through this series, this will be week three. I think this will be the final in um, in kind of our prophecy update series, and then we'll be onboarding back, you know, fully into the the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, I was reminded, you know, as I was getting ready to get into the book, you know. Um, like most of us who grew up like in the late 70s, early 80s, you guys remember like running earthquake drills, right? You get under your desk and then the people for that are looking at me shaking their heads be like, let's talk about the Cold War, right? You know, like as if a nuclear bomb explodes and you need to get under your desk, you know, somehow that is going to be sufficient. And, uh, you know, it's like we would, we would try to be prepared, you know, and for those of us that live in Southern California, when the earth shakes, you're like, if it's under a four, you're like, it's nothing, right? You know, you're like, yeah, it gets five or six and you've got my attention. Anything beyond that, it's like, okay, now we're, now we're really shaking. And, you know, the idea of earthquake preparedness, we used to run through all the drills, that kind of stuff. Because the idea of the big one, the idea that something eminent, something could happen, and the need to be prepared was something that was kind of drilled into us. You know, back in 2018, some of you guys might remember the news articles like in Hawaii. You guys remember like there was about eight in the morning, a text that went out to everybody on the island that said like intercontinental ballistic missile inbound. This is not a drill. You imagine getting that text at eight in the morning, like on the island. And for about 30 minutes... Everybody on the island was under the impression that there was an inbound intercontinental ballistic missile getting ready to hit the island. People were, you know, um, faced with that, that, that thought of eminent annihilation. Some people were, you know, like, do we get down? Do we get under the desk? You know, do we, uh, you know, some people were knocking on doors and sharing the gospel. Like, man, if this is it, let's take as many people as we can. Government was scrambling, trying to figure out, like, is this a false alarm? You know, what's going on? And then ultimately it was a false alarm. I mean, goodness gracious. Thankfully, someone got fired over like hitting the wrong button. Shouldn't have scheduled that text, right? But you can imagine the emotion, the intensity when everybody's thinking eminently like everything is about to change. Now, I imagine the next time a text goes out, because we all used to get the emergency broadcast warning. You just like change the, you know, you're like, oh, it's just a test in the emergency broadcast system. The sad part is, like, you can get to the point where you start to tune out those potential emergencies where you're just like, okay, there's nothing coming, it's no big deal, etc. But I imagine at that moment in Hawaii, everybody, you know, was out of 10. As we get into this aspect of kind of our prophecy update, now we're fast forwarding 
to this idea of the tribulation. This idea of this era where literally it kind of feels like hell on earth, where it's all falling apart or kind of like in our Esther series, maybe it's all falling into place. You know, but some of this stuff that when we talk about the idea of it coming and how to be prepared is for some, it's just easy to like, let it go right over our head. But I imagine part of the reason that Jesus gave us this information, part of the reason um, that we even have prophecy really comes down to like, what are we doing with it? Am I living with that sense of urgency, expectancy, knowing that God says what he means and he means what he what? He means what he says. So as we get into today's update, and again, Calvary Chapel, like, man, we're going to close touching on the rapture, our blessed hope. And the book of 1 Thessalonians is one of the books that actually gets into it. And I look forward to unfolding that with you. But as we've been making our way through this prophecy update series, kind of picking these fixed points, if you will, it's important that we can answer these questions not only for ourselves, but for a world that's just kind of ignoring all of the alarm bells that are going off and should be going off. Because as we've talked about, getting into this idea of prophecy, the return of Jesus is the second half of the what? The second half of the gospel. For us as Christians, this is so much of what drove the early church in the book of Acts is the idea that he's coming back and like we want to make sure everybody knows. That was part of the Great Commission. Go unto all the world. And so this idea of the eminent bodily return of Jesus, the setting up of his, his kingdom, the return of the king like that, the reason we're expecting that is because that's what the Bible teaches and I think sometimes we as Christians are only living in the rear view mirror of what he did on the cross. And man, there's nothing more valuable and significant. But what if we were also looking forward to the idea that Jesus is returning? And what is all the information that we have about that? And do the people around me in my life really believe that I believe that? What would happen if my coworkers, my friends, my neighbors really thought like, man, Caleb really believes that? So this is where we started. We've broken this up into about three different messages. We started with this fixed point. What, what I call the North Star of prophecy is the return of Jesus. Like that is the single most exciting, significant, important event that we can hold on to in terms of prophecy is the return of Jesus, the king setting up his kingdom. Then we talked about the millennial kingdom and the idea of a new heavens, a new earth, and eternity. Like we don't talk enough about that. And then as we rewound last week, because that gets into part of the question, like how close are we getting to that? What are the other facts? What are the, the things that we can know with confidence that the Bible talks about? And this idea of the rise of the Antichrist. And as we look in the book of First Thessalonians, it gives us kind of some indications of what that'll look like. But it also tells us before the rise of the Antichrist, there will be an apostasy, a falling away. You know, and so as we begin to look at that, that gives us some indications to go, okay, I'm seeing some signs of the times. These are the kind of things where like we need to be waking up and paying attention. Back in, like I said, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day. And this is kind of what we're going to be emphasizing coming up here. Will not come unless the falling away comes first. Like this is something that's going to precede this season of both the Antichrist and the Great Tribulation is this idea of the falling away. Now this last week, it's just funny how we start to talk about these things. There was a, um, there was a, a, a clip of a new show that's being released on, on Amazon, Has Been Hotel. I hate even giving these guys their props, but figure it's good discussion stuff. 
But like when you look at today, we talked about moving from a post-Christian society to an anti-Christian society. This cartoon, if you will, granted it's rated R or mature or whatever that's coming out, but like it is the inversion of the gospel. Like I can't even explain to you, you know, like the totality of how the idea of like, how do we undermine scripture? How do we undermine, how do we make Satan the hero, Jesus the villain? How do we begin to, you know, create this empathy as if like Satan is the dreamer, Lucifer is the one who's trying to help the world. And I'm like, I'm looking at this cartoon that's being released, Once and I'm like, time, there really? Was a this is, I'm not gonna play the whole preview, but just to give you a, a snippet, this it came out this week. by beings of pure light, angels that worshiped good and shielded all from evil. Lucifer was one of these angels. He was a dreamer with fantastical ideas for all of creation, but he was seen as a troublemaker by the elders of heaven, for they felt his way of thinking was dangerous to the order of their world. So he watched as the angels began to expand the universe in their ways. From the dust of earth, they created Adam and Lilith, equals as the first of mankind. But despite this, Adam demanded control and Lilith refused to submit to his will. She fled the garden. Drawn in by her fierce independence, Lucifer found her and the two rebellious dreamers fell deeply in love. Together, they wished to share the magic of free will with humanity, offering the fruit of knowledge to Adam's new bride, Eve, who gladly accepted. But this gift came with a curse, for with this single act of disobedience, evil finally found its way into Earth. With it, a new realm of darkness and sin, and the order heaven had worked to maintain was shattered. As punishment for their reckless act, heaven cast Lucifer and his love into the dark pit he had created, never allowing him to see the good that came from humanity, only the cruel and the wicked. Ashamed, Lucifer lost his will to dream, but Lilith thrived, empowering demonkind with her voice and her songs, and as the numbers of hell grew, so did its power. It gets much more dysfunctional and wicked than that. My point in telling you, it's really aimed at teenagers. Like, like that's the target audience. And granted, the language, like in, I, I don't encourage you to watch all the trailers because you'll hear the F-bombs and the language and the gratuitous violence and the rest of these things because it's really glorifying this idea of hell and this is supposed to be the daughter of Lucifer and you know this whole idea. And in one sense, it's mocking Christianity. And in another sense, it's like, let's just twist, take a little bit of the truth Add the lie and see if we can't get people to like onboard into this idea, you know, of like this backwards gospel, which has kind of been the plan of the enemy from the get go. And so my point of this, again, I talked to you about moving into a post-Christian to an anti-Christian society. This is like Amazon Prime released this last week. So like this is your, this is just kind of like how people are engaging and moving. This is why. As the Bible talks about moving closer to the end times, what does the book of Hebrews say? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the what? The day approaching. That's why it's so important to be grounded in God's word to understand what does he say? What does it mean? What are we to be doing about it? Because as you take some of those insights and information in scripture and you kind of twist it, like how do you know that this is false unless you know the what? Unless you know the truth. 
And so last week, as we got into this idea of the rise of the Antichrist, we began to look at what does the Bible actually say about this person, because there is the spirit of Antichrist. And so we see that uh, actually happening ever since Jesus' ascension. The book of John talks about the spirit of the Antichrist, but it will culminate in a person, not a Antichrist, but what? the Antichrist. He's called the man of sin. He's called the son of perdition. This will be the human embodiment of Satan here on earth. And as we begin to look at like Revelation describes him as the beast and it gives this insight and it uses some of this picturesque language that we get from the book of Daniel. Talks about this idea of the beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns, ten crowns, and on his head, a blasphemous name. And it says, now the beast, which I saw, was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and the mouth like the mouth of a lion. And notice, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. This person is going to arise. And that language describing these different animals comes right out of the book of Daniel, which is describing different empires. And so part of what we begin to be like, why do we talk about the Antichrist being connected maybe to Europe? Where do some of these co concepts come from? It's because as we look into God's word and we begin to realize that he says what he means, he means what he says. He gives us examples and insights. And when we go to the book of Daniel, we find one of the most archaeologically fascinating prophecies regarding future events before they happen. And when we get into the book of Daniel, you see, wow, here's some really similar language. It talks about this idea of the 10 horns are 10 kings who will come from this kingdom. And after them, another king will arise different from the early ones. And he will subdue three kings. He will speak against the most high and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times. And so again, when we look in the book of Daniel and we see some of these examples as it's talked about in history past, and we talk about like Antiochus Epiphanes, who like was a part of that first abomination of desolation, we look and we go, hey, God told us before those things happen, and we begin to look at the correlation and revelation of the book of Daniel, and we're like, okay, there's some similarities to this world leader who's going to arise, who's going to be given power by these other kings. When we look further into the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, one of the great prophetic um, prophecies in terms of we talk about the 70-week uh, prophecy of Daniel. You can go back into my study in the book of Daniel, look at that. But here is he's coming to the end of that prophecy. It says, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one talking about Jesus, will be put to death and will have nothing. Notice, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Who was the power that destroyed the temple in AD 70? Rome, right? So when we look at who the, the power was when Jesus was crucified and ultimately destroyed the temple, we begin to look at some of these different things and can look through the, the lens of prophecy past and it gives us some insight into the future. And that's why when we talk about in this idea of the rise of the Antichrist, we talk about like this, this thought of a, a revived Roman Empire, something coming out of Europe, which is why for years, when people talk about like the European Union, these kind of things, they get all like, whoo, what is this? What is that? Fascinating, even as um, you guys look at this idea of the World Economic Forum. You know that just last week, right? They met in Davos over there in Switzerland to have their annual meeting of like the world's top uh, billionaires and tech leaders and world leaders. And they gather to not only discuss world problems, but to begin to figure out how they will solve the world's problems. They consider themselves trustees of the future. If you look at um, this guy, Klaus Schwab, you know, which feels like it's right out of like a villain from a Bond movie or something. But like, I, I joke about these things, but when you listen to them talk, 
they're not trying to do this in a corner. They're telling you, like, we are basically the stewards of your future. They're the ones that were talking about COVID and the great reset, the idea of how do we utilize this moment to begin to become more of a global society. I'm going to just give you a snippet, a couple of seconds of his speech from just a couple of days ago. Today, we stand really at a unique juncture in human history, facing challenges that are as diverse as they are profound. The special role of the World Economic Forum is not to look just at one single issue. It is a place where, at the beginning of the year, we come together to analyze the state of the world in a systemic and strategic way, and hopefully to find common ground to generate positive impact. So he and other world leaders gather together to make policies that impact the world. And that is their desires. We kind of go down and look at some of their stated goals and the idea of a global civilization and the depopulation, you know, uh, issue that we're facing. I mean, there are a number of things where you just go, really? And again, kind of centered right there out of Europe. And so again, as we're just looking at some of these things that the Bible talks about, we say looking on the horizon, we see some of these things, like looking out of the distance at a tsunami warning and saying, I see some of these early signs of the waves coming in. Now, what are some of the other things that we see here in scripture as we zero in on this particular time? When we use the phrase, the seven year tribulation, where does this concept come from? One of those time markers we get comes from that last week, a week is a period of sevens that we see from Daniel's prophecy back in Daniel chapter nine, that last verse, which precedes talking about the culmination of coming into Jesus in verse 27, it says, and he will confirm a covenant with many talking about the antichrist for one, what seven in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So a period of sevens, we're talking about this idea of seven years, which is part of why that prophecy in Daniel nine was so important. You go from the going forth of the, the building of the walls, the book of Nehemiah, and it takes us all the way to the triumphant entry. Remember Jesus said like, man, if the people weren't shouting, the rocks would what? cry out. Why? Because that date was set in this cosmic time scale where God has said like, okay, this, you're going to watch from this prophecy all the way to this moment. And there, as we begin to look at the specificity of prophecy, we kind of go back to this and say, okay, but there's still one seven left undone. And as we get into this idea today, as we're looking at that period of that specific seven years and the idea that somewhere in the middle point during that three and a half years, halfway through the tribulation, that this antichrist is going to be revealed. He's going to set himself up in the temple, which is what? In Jerusalem, a rebuilt temple there in the Holy of Holies, declaring himself to be God declaring himself to be worshiped, which is where we then move into the idea of the mark of the beast and the rest of the things that begin to proceed from that. But that gives you some idea of where our time markers are coming from. Now, you're looking and you're hearing this, be like, Caleb, well, like if the Bible gives us all of this information, how, how is this going to happen if we have, like, isn't this thing unmasked? Don't you guys remember like every episode of Scooby-Doo, right? You're like, at some point, you're like, you pull off the mask, and as much as the Bible does give us information about the Antichrist, the rise of the Antichrist, 
Why is it that people seem to have their eyes blinded by so much that's going on in the world? Well, the Bible tells us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all powers, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive what? The love of the truth that they might be saved. He goes on to say, and for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So as we begin to look at this last period, the rise of the Antichrist, the power that the Antichrist has from Satan, the ability to deceive through signs and wonders and miracles, but it also talks about the rejection of the truth, the idea that I chose to reject what God's word said. I began to, to reject the truth of God because I loved the unrighteousness there is this strong delusion. Romans hints at this back in Romans chapter one, what I call the de-evolution of man. And Paul lays out this whole case about how he exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And it culminates, it says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so they, ought to, they do what ought not to be done. And then as you go on to the next couple of verses, it describes the sexual immorality and debauchery that looks so much like the world that we live in today. And you begin to look at this idea of a strong delusion, the idea of being given over. And how many people today, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the truth, the idea of what's still coming, people just do what? La, 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 right? It's like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know about it. But as we begin to look at one of the consequences, the judgment of God, the rejection of truth leads to a hardening of the what? The hardening of the heart. And we know this. We've probably seen it with friends and family. Some of you guys might have at some point been this person. It's like, I don't want to hear it. And we watch in the hardening of the heart that ultimately leads to what? Enslavement and destruction. The idea that God gave them over to the lust of their flesh. You know, that there, there comes this delusion where it's like, man, I can't see it. I can't hear it. Kind of like Pharaoh where he hardened his heart. And then what happened? God hardened his heart. That's scary. And we think about the parable of the sower, that the scattering of the seed is what reveals the soil. And as we share with people and we plant the seeds of the truth, okay, Lord willing, it's soft, it's ready, but the more people reject it, the more they harden their heart, the more calloused our heart becomes to the truth. Now, part of the question that people have been asking is this idea of how close are we? And this has been this idea of the signs of the times. This was the disciples' question, right? This was that confidential briefing as they were there in Matthew 24. And they were asking, like, how are we going to know when you're going to come back? Great question for the disciples of Jesus. Verse 3, Matthew 24, as he's sitting there um, with them. Uh, and he says, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That seems to be the big question that people are asking today. Notice what Jesus says. And again, we've seen this word over and over about not being deceived. He said, verse four, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
And so we see that there is going to be a time just like there's like four shocks. There are events and things that happen and we're like, oh, was that the big one? We're like, no, that little shaking is an indicator, you know, of something that's actually much greater. And so he gives us this little insight to say, hey, there's going to be this idea of wars and rumors of wars. Now think about it. If someone's going to come in who's going to offer peace and create a sense of security and everybody, there probably has to be an element of turmoil that precedes that for a world leader to come in and then like get everybody's attention by bringing what? Peace. And so Jesus describes the time preceding the Antichrist saying, hey, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be a number of different things that are going on. It says nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes, and various seasons. All of these are what? The beginning of sorrows. You need to pay attention to that. Number one, the, 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 the word here, um, you'll see it in some of your other translations say the birth pains, right? And for any family that's gone through birth pains, Right? It starts off, and this was always the question, like, what number are you? Like, what smiley face, you know? And you're like, oh, I'm at a one, you know? And then, you know, it changes. And the indication is that, like, as the birth pains increase, we're moving closer to the what? To the birth. But I want you to notice that as it describes, like, as much as we are anticipating our blessed hope, the promise, rapture, all of these different things, the time leading up to... The rise of the Antichrist, wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, that's just the beginning. That's not the great tribulation. Are you paying attention to that? Like in a sense of being prepared, am I prepared for what the Bible actually does reveal about the time preceding the rise of the Antichrist in the end times? Because that looks like it's going to get even more overwhelming than it is right now. Now, granted, we could look geologically and we'd say, man, there's all kinds of stuff happening in the world right now. Now, Jesus utilizes this as he says, look, you're not going to know the exact time. You're not going to set your watch to this day, but you are like a tree. You're going to be able to begin to see the, the things changing. And when you begin to see the signs, notice, learn this parable from the fig tree. When the branches already become tender, put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. Jesus is making it really clear. Just like we would see in fall, we see the leaves begin to change. I say, oh, we're getting close to a new season. And when you begin to see some of these things, there's an indication that begins to say, look, that generation is kind of locking in a time frame. Now, Granted, there's been lots of wars and lots of earthquakes and lots of geopolitical events that have happened all over the world. But there's one time in history where a nation that wasn't a nation became a nation again that's central to all of this. And that was Israel, 1948. And so when people look at me and they say, Caleb, why do you think we're getting so much closer? That to me is one of my fixed points that makes me go pay attention. Because as the rest of the story unfolds and you look at the key players and the things that are going to have to happen, we're not completely there yet. Do you see a rebuilt temple? No. But Israel's a nation and it's right at the center of a lot of different events. And so notice, but that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But he goes on to describe. He doesn't just say, hey, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to know. He moves us to an example. He said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, there was eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage. Until that day, Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took all of them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. There is a sense of 
eminency. Like, wow, like this thing is going to happen. When it happens, it's going to happen quickly. There's some people that are just not paying attention at all. They're going about their regular life. Like, I'm going to just get up and go to work. I'm going to get married today, all the rest of these things. And then literally, the dam breaks loose. And so that's one takeaway from this. The other is our example as believers, and that's who? Noah, we look at Noah and we say, Noah, you had a job to do in the middle of this. And most of us all know, remember the story, Noah built a really big boat, built the ark. And so, yes, there was that place that God had said, hey, this is what you're going to do so you can be safe. And I'm going to take you through this. But one of the things I want you to pay attention when it comes to Noah is it doesn't, Noah didn't just build a boat for him and his family. Part of Noah's responsibility, and we don't always pay attention to this, 2 Peter chapter 2 says, he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on the ungodly, but protected Noah, what? A preacher of righteousness. Noah didn't just build, he preached. Like there was that sense, this awareness, like I don't know exactly all that's going to happen, but there's a really big boat and there's room for you. He couldn't stop the rain, but he could build a boat and he could invite others to be like, man, you got to make a choice. And I'm sure people laughed and scorned and mocked and ultimately didn't get into the boat until God shut the door. And they're like, let me on the what? A little too late by that point. But we realize if the example that we're given, like Noah, you and I have a job to do. Our boat is the church, is the gospel. We have room to invite people to say, man, there is room for you. But guess what? I can't stop the rain but I can invite you onto the boat. Like that's the example that we're looking at Noah. Now, when we're looking at this idea of the tribulation, because this becomes a question for people, like, are we in the great tribulation? How do I know the tribulation? What does the tribulation look like? And there's some important indicators that you and I need to know so we don't get confused by that question because the Bible tells us that as Christians, we will experience tribulation. That's difficulty, right? The word thalipsis, it's like getting hit by something, right? There is, a, there is a pounding, there's a difficulty, like a salmon swimming upstream, like we are swimming upstream of culture. And we look at the first century, look at the things that Christians had to endure, martyrdom. There are places in the world that Christians are dying right now. As a Christian, you will experience what? Tribulation. But that's different than this idea of the great tribulation. Let's go back to some of the other things that we need to know from God's word. Verse, chapter 24, verse 15. When you see standing in the holy places is Jesus again talking to his disciples. The abomination that causes desolation spoken through Daniel the prophet. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let one on the rooftops go down and take everything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not be in place in winter or the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. And never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now, there are some important observations culturally. He's talking about the Sabbath and some practical things. And instead, it's like, okay, I wonder who his audience, who he's emphasizing in terms of the Jews here. But some markers that you and I need to pay attention and understand is we're like trying to like fit this whole concept of the great tribulation. Notice it says that the things that are about to unfold are going to unfold in a way that have never happened before that it says, and will never be equaled again. In fact, if this time hadn't been cut short, no one would what? Survive. These events will be so cataclysmic and significant, right? Kind of like the flood, that it's going to not only accomplish God's purpose, but it's not like we're gonna go, did that, did it already happen? You know, like everyone's gonna be very aware 
when these things are happening. And so as we begin to look at some of these indicators that we have about the great tribulation, a couple of things that we need to know. Number one, when we look at the idea of the Antichrist, who's central in the middle of this, we see already the rise of a one world government. Are we in the middle of that right now? No. We see things that might be leading up to that. We find that it talks about this idea of him standing in the temple and the abomination of desolation. Do we have a rebuilt temple right now? No. There is a peace treaty that's going to happen with Israel and his neighbors. Is that currently happening? No. We see the signs of some of those things happening. And then also the Bible describes global cataclysmic events, earthquakes that level the land. You know, massive things like locusts that are demon locusts and all that. You're like, what? You know, you're like, whoo. So my point being, you know, as much as there, and again, I love having conversations with really intelligent Christians who look at this and maybe even think differently than I am. But when I'm looking through the lens of scripture, I'm always looking for fixed points. What does the Bible actually say? And then trying to work from there. These are some of the elements of what we would call the great tribulation. Notice one of the important things as we look in the Bible about the great tribulation, the book of Revelation, the unveiling, it is both unveiling Jesus, the one who is coming on the right white horse to rescue and set up his kingdom, but it also unveils this final plan. And when we get into this idea of the great tribulation, there are three series of judgments that we have to be paying attention to that the book of Revelation kind of lays out for us. There's the scroll judgments, there's the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. And these things are pretty significant. Let me show you a quick video, help you lock it in your brain for those that are wondering like, Okay, so we're not in the Great Tribulation. Well, how do I know that? Pay attention to the, some of the observations here. The seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls or vials are three series of end times judgments from God. The judgments get increasingly worse and more devastating as the end times progress. The seven seals, trumpets, and bowls are connected to one another. The seventh seal introduces the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet introduces the seven bowls. The seven seals include the appearance of the Antichrist, great warfare, famine, plague, the martyrdom of believers in Christ, a devastating earthquake, and astronomical upheaval. Those who survive the six seals are right to cry out, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The seventh seal introduces the seven trumpet judgments. The trumpets include hail and fire that destroy much of the plant life in the world, the death of much of the world's aquatic life, the darkening of the sun and moon, a plague of demonic locusts that torture the unsaved, and the march of a demonic army that kills a third of humanity. Hail, rats, beast, locusts, take your pick. The seventh trumpet calls forth seven angels who carry the seven bowls of God's wrath. The bowl judgments include painful sores afflicting humanity, the death of every living thing in the sea, the turning of rivers to blood, an intensifying of the sun's heat, great darkness, and intensification of the sores from the first bowl, the advance of the Antichrist's armies at Armageddon, and a devastating earthquake followed by giant hailstones. In summary, together, the seals, trumpets, and bowls of the end times comprise the great day of God's wrath and serve to judge the Antichrist's kingdom of wickedness. 
you are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. That answers the question, what are the seven seals? So as you begin to study through the book of Revelation, you watch all of these things unfold. Part of the reason we're given that information is because I look at that and go, I don't want to what? I don't want to be there. Like, like just like we were talking about with, say, a nuclear holocaust or some of these different things, it should cause us to look at that and say, how do we, like, what do we do about that? Now, as we look at this idea of tribulation versus the great tribulation, you heard it there in the, the video. And this is an important distinction as we understand God's word and the plan for this particular seven years and what it's all about. When we look at what we are promised as Christians, that we will endure tribulation, one of the questions is what is the source of that tribulation? As a Christian, when you and I experience tribulation here in the world, the source is whom? Satan. Right? Like we find ourselves like being attacked, right? This is why we have all of these verses about putting on our armor, etc. But when we look at this idea of the great tribulation, this period, which is culminating in the Antichrist and Jesus' return, who is actually delivering the, the tribulation? Who is actually pouring out his wrath? God. And so we understand that part of the purpose of this time as God is pouring out his wrath, both on the Antichrist and the kingdom, kind of like going back to Exodus and looking at what God was doing as he was demonstrating his power, as he was bringing his people out. We understand that, okay, the source of the great tribulation, as much as the enemy is like hell on earth, but God is bringing judgment on a world that is deserving of what? Judgment. That's not something that we talk a lot about. But when you look at the book of Proverbs, talk about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Like there is a sense that we do need to understand that there is a holy God and he's going to deal with some of that evil and the things that are going on in our world. Now, as we begin to look at what God's word says, Revelation 6, verses 16 through 17, and this is what the people said. They said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the faith of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For great, the, for, for great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? This idea of the day of the Lord, which we will see here in the book of Thessalonians, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, Second Peter, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt away with fervent fire, both the earth and the works that are burned up. This idea of the day of the Lord, we see even prevalent in the Old Testament. The book of Joel says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming it is at hand Joel 2:31 the sun shall be turned into darkness the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord the implication that Joel and everyone is talking about is this idea of like blow the trumpet be prepared and so this idea that we are preparing for a time where God will judge deal with sin the antichrist the devil all of that how do we prepare for that what does the bible say about preparing for the great day of the Lord now if you've been paying attention to the news, you might notice that like over the last couple of months, there's all these news reports about billionaires building like these mega bunkers, right? Like I think Zuckerberg just built like some giant one a couple of weeks ago there in Hawaii. And we're hearing all these news about these massive bunkers that these people, is that how you prepare for the great day of the Lord? 
I mean, that's how they're trying to prepare for it. And I could show you the news clip, but I'm not going to because I'm running out of time. As I mentioned earlier, the book of Proverbs 9:10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Taking God seriously is step one of how we prepare. And I can look back in the book of Jeremiah, Isaiah, as it talks about the invading armies of Assyria and Babylon, that God says what he means and he means what he says. Now, the idea of taking this seriously, what are some things that we as the church need to do in the light of this idea of the coming day of the Lord. I'll give you these six, just I'll drop down some verses that the Bible makes pretty clear that we, his people, in relationship to these things, like how do I prepare? Like that incoming missile, like the day of the Lord is coming. Number one, it says that, I'm clicking and I'm clicking. There we go. First Peter chapter four, verse seven. And the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. pray. Guys, that's why we keep creating all of these spaces as a church to gather in prayer. Prayer has an impact. We see it in the book of Revelation, the incense rising up into heaven, the prayers of the saints. And we don't understand how all of our prayers are impacting and changing things, but we know that we are called to pray. Pray for our loved ones, pray for the church, pray for us. Like We are called to pray in the light of these things. Number two, Hebrews 10, I mentioned this one at the beginning, Hebrews 10, 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the what? The day approaching. As we get closer to that time, we actually should be gathering more because we're going to be in need of encouragement, looking at a world that is falling apart, moving into apostasy, all the different things that are coming. We're encouraged. The closer we get to that day, the more we need each other. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to what? Repentance. I know some of us are like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I get it, man. I'm praying with you. But the reality is every day, every week, every month, right, that this hasn't completely unfolded is one more opportunity for you and I to talk to a loved one, a family member, a friend, a coworker that we don't want to harden their heart and go through that time of judgment and ultimate eternal separation, which is why it says that part of the reason that God is slow in concern, these isn't just because he's like, oh, I forgot about that. He's giving room for what? What was the key word in there? Repentance. Like this idea of repentance is a change of mind. I've been living not in the light of that. I've not been paying attention. I'm not taking that seriously. And there comes a moment where like, kind of like the whole, you know, incoming missile. And I'm like, man, I haven't even taken life seriously. And then this idea that it could all be over. I'm like, man, there's some things I need to change. That's repentance, right? Like I'm changing based on a change, like a radical change of mind. God, you are who you said you are. You are coming back. Am I living in the light of that? I want to change maybe how I'm living this Christian life. And so we see that sharing the gospel is one thing, but repentance, that little like change of mind, change of attitude, change of heart that begins with, with holding these things as true. Romans 13, 11 says, and do this understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And this is idea of watching, wake up, right? And this idea of looking, are we aware? Are we paying attention as those events are happening? They're not catching us off guard. You know, we're looking at these things and we're pointing them to people so that they know. They can see like, hey, the Bible's already, this stuff should validate prophecy, which makes us actually feel more secure in the promises of God. And then lastly, Philippians chapter four, verse five, let your gentleness be evident to all, what? 
The Lord is near. Guys, as we get closer to the end, one of the things that I want to encourage you about in this idea of like what I call an eschatological imperative, I think one of the low-hanging fruit for the enemy, Gandhi was on to something. He was figured out something that Jesus had already said. He said, the true measure of any society can be found in how it treats its most vulnerable members. Guys, when the Antichrist comes up, Jesus said it this way, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it unto me. When you think about not buying or selling, you know, because like, unless you have the mark, like the idea of the Antichrist saying, I'll give you all of this if you'll do this. Who are going to see some of the most vulnerable people that will be sway to the Antichrist? You know, we look at the poor, we look at the impoverished, we look at the countries that don't have much. The reality is the enemy is going to be going after them. How much more we knowing the truth, this isn't a political thing, this is an eschatological thing to say, how do we as Christians, this isn't about social justice, this is about us loving the poor so that they know, hey, this is what Jesus has done for you. Because as we begin to look at these things, they're not political, they're preventative. Like, man, that's why I do work in Pakistan and in India, because I guess what? You want to know where the enemy's going to be going after people? Yeah. He's like, hey, you don't have any of this stuff, but guess what? I'll give it to you if you'll just what? Follow me. But man, if they were armed with the gospel, if the church was loving on them, if we ourselves in our community and like looking at it that way, that this is part of the eschatological, like Jesus is coming back. How do we reach these people? That's much different than looking at this through a political lens. You got to look at it through a gospel lens. Are you tracking with me on that one? Let me close with this because I told you this is where I was going to close. Titus says this, we wait for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. This idea of the blessed hope, and we talk about the rapture, right? This idea that we will meet the Lord in the air. And as we begin to look about this idea of the great tribulation, all these events unfolding, we can set our timer. I've talked about that in terms of like the abomination of desolation. And then here comes Jesus's return. But there is a sense of eminence. There is this sense that Jesus talks about the book of Thessalonians, talks about the idea that the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet, the call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are still alive and left will be what? caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going to be getting into this, and I'm going to expound on it and break it down because that's actually where we get our word rapture is this idea of caught up, harpazo, right? There's this sense of like being snatched up. And as we begin to understand like this idea of where the rapture is and where we are in relationship to all of these things, this doctrine of eminency, this idea that like there's nothing necessarily in the eschatological timeline, like we don't necessarily need the temple to rebuild and all these things, you know, for the rapture to happen. But as we begin to think about all the stuff that is going to happen, our idea shouldn't be how do I escape and not worry about it. But our idea is as we look at the, the things that God has shown us and we realize that, man, we got a job to do right now, that the king is coming. And before it happens, all hell is going to break loose. I have a hope. I have an expectation. I have a longing, right, to meet the Lord in the air. But I got a job to do like Noah before he comes back. And that question of readiness, am I ready to meet the Lord in the air? If he were to say, let's go, am I ready? Is my family ready? Because there is going to be a deception. There's going to be one that is going to rise. There's going to be signs and miracles. There's going to be a number of people that are going to be drawn into everything that you and I just described. And the same way you and I would change all our priorities if that inbound missile alert, like Hawaii, like everything would change really quickly in here. 
But if I were to treat the coming of Jesus with the same kind of urgency and intensity, would anything look different when you walk out of here today, when you walk into your job on Monday? Let that be the kind of faith and intensity that we look at and as we consider all that Jesus has said about his return. Amen? Let's pray.